0: what's going on at RUF uh, UAB and how we can be uh, praying for him and his family. He just finished his first year uh, there and was ordained at our last uh, presbytery meeting. So Adam. Thanks Daniel for that introduction. It's great to be with y'all this morning. And as Daniel said, I am the pastor of college students at the university of Alabama at Birmingham, which means that I'm not the pastor of a church. Like Daniel is. So part of my job is to travel around to churches like Lakewood and get to preach on occasion. And it's wonderful getting to meet new people at these different churches in the Birmingham area, people many of whom I have never met before, but that instantly we have this connection because of the gospel. Um, That's the amazing thing about the communion of the saints, right? That even strangers uh, become your friends because you have the gospel in common. And The gospel is really a big rescue operation, isn't it? A rescue operation from sin and from sickness. And there's three images that really capture what the gospel is. The first is a courtroom. I hope um, none of you have had to be in a courtroom recently, unless that's your job or something like that, if you're a lawyer or um, a policeman, but... Most of us want to avoid being in a courtroom, but of course the gospel takes place in a spiritual courtroom where Christ is declared guilty on our behalf and we are declared righteous because of him. And secondly, the gospel takes place in the living room where we are adopted into God's family, where the judge in that courtroom comes down off the stand and invites us home with him to have dinner and we're adopted into God's family. And then finally, the last image is uh, God's hospital room where we are not just declared righteous. Our sins are not only forgiven and we're adopted into God's family, but in God's hospital room, He actually begins to heal us spiritually, to take the sickness of sin that pervades us and the world and to heal us. And that's really what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. What does it look like to be a healthy, patient in God's kingdom. Um, the Sermon on the Mount, you know, you'll know you remember, begins with the Beatitudes and then moves on with Christ teaching about, you, know, you must turn away from lust. You must turn away from anger. Uh, you must be salt and light in the world. And that's where the Lord's Prayer falls into. And that's the passage that we're looking at this morning. Just one line from the Lord's Prayer. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 6. And I'm just going to read the entire Lord's Prayer from Matthew 6, verses 9 to 13. This is what the scripture says. Christ says, pray then like this, for your Father in heaven knows what you need before you ask him. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let me pray for us quickly. Heavenly Father, we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts together would be pleasing to you, our Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So he said that we're looking at this morning an aspect of what it looks like to be a healthy patient in God's spiritual hospital room. God's rehabilitating us, and what does that look like? And it looks like Christ's teaching on prayer, and specifically this line of, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And what I want you to see is that God has promised to help us flee from temptation. He's promised to deliver us from evil. If we will go and ask him. All those who go to our Heavenly Father and ask him to help us flee from evil, he will do that because he's promised to. And there's three evils I want us to see that he's promised to deliver us from. The world and the flesh and the devil. Uh, That's what the scripture teaches about evil. There's three of them, the world, the flesh, and the devil. So the first is the world. How has Christ promised to deliver us from this evil of the world? And I think we tend to define evil mostly in our culture in terms of the lack of something. For example, it's evil for there not to be enough access to education in the world. There are some people who have very little access to education. And we might say, look, that's just evil. We've got to improve that. It's not right that these people have no access to this. Or other people who maybe have no access to health care, perhaps through no fault of their own, they simply do not have access to this. It's a lack, and we might say, well, that's evil. Or even just sickness in general. This person lacks health, and this is evil. Um, You could say the same thing about money. Um, Someone who is overcome by poverty through no fault of their own, And we might look at this and say, look, that is just evil. We have got to fix this. We've got to stop it. And the scripture really affirms all these things, all the things in our world that we look at and say, that is not right. That's not right in our community. That's not right in our country. That's not right uh, in our family. The Bible calls these afflictions and suffering. And you really see this most pointedly in Jesus' own life, really, as he's dying on the cross. Um, All the comforts, all the earthly securities, all the uh, fellowship with other people, of course, his own health is being taken away from him moment by moment as he's scourged and crucified. It says later on in Matthew 28. And then the soldier, excuse me, Matthew 27, then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole battalion before him and they stripped him and they put a scarlet robe on him and twisting together a crown of thorns they put it on his head and they put a reed in his right hand and kneeling before him they mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him, and they took the reed, and they struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe, and they put his clothes on him, and led him away to crucify him. Whether it is cancer, whether it is poverty, whether it is injustice done in our community, this life is full of affliction, isn't it? Hardships and affliction. These these things are evil, the scripture says. It's not the way God wanted it to be. But in this prayer, God is asking us to come to him and pray, Deliver us from these evils, Heavenly Father. You love us, so deliver us from these things which are evil. And He promises to deliver us from them in three ways. First is by taking them away from us. One pastor put it this way that God does prevent the occurrence of evil, but not very often. I'll say that again. God does prevent the occurrence of evil. And in this case we mean just affliction. He does do that. But not very often. Um, and you know, this is why we pray, Heavenly Father, heal that man or heal that woman. Because He does heal us of our diseases. He does take communities gripped by injustice and transform them into just communities. He does do that. Um, Our daughter, Lucy, who's only nine months old, she has had chronic ear infections now since February. And so because we love her, we have prayed for her over and over. Heavenly Father, deliver my daughter from these ear infections. We're not sleeping at night because she's not sleeping at night. Day after day, week after week, now month after month, we have prayed for her to be delivered from that. And last Tuesday, she was finally able to have tubes put in her ears. And I think she's better now. (laughs) Praise God, he delivers us from affliction, doesn't he? The problem is that uh, the last two weeks, she has developed one of the worst uh, diaper rashes we have ever seen. (laughs) And You know, on the one hand, I can laugh about that. I mean, isn't that funny that that happens? But, you know, as parents, more often we're gripped by anxiety because of that. Affliction is what characterizes this world. And God does deliver us from them sometimes. But more often than not, he leaves us in our afflictions because this is the way of our Savior. Our Savior suffered under Pontius Pilate. We are his servants, and a servant is not greater than his master, and so we will have to suffer too. But he also delivers us from evil by encouraging our hearts in the midst of evil. The scripture says, When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. That's Psalm 94:19. In the midst of our afflictions, when we cast our burdens before our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, he assures us, You are on the path of salvation. Though your afflictions are many, you are on the path of being my disciple. And you are headed for heaven. I love you and I'm well pleased with you. Hang in there. Don't give up. It's going to be worth it at the end. And that's the third way that he delivers us from these evils of affliction is that he rewards us after we have endured them. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, For this momentary and light affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. This momentary and light affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. I love to backpack, especially in eastern Carolina. And on one particular trip, we were hiking in the woods and... We were headed towards a cabin that had already been stocked with steak and baked potatoes and, you know, all manner of desserts. And so mile after mile, as my feet hurt and I grew more and more tired, my heart was encouraged because I knew that it was going to be worth it at the end. And that is Christ's promise to me and to you that if we will endure these evils, the afflictions of this world, it will be worth it in the end. But evil, as scripture defines it, is not just in the world. It's not just out there somewhere in our community or out there somewhere in our family. But it's actually in here. And that's really what the scripture is getting at here in Matthew chapter 6 where it says, lead us not... Into temptation, the scriptures trying to show us that naturally, because of sin and sickness, we are led into temptation. Now, you know we tend to talk uh, about temptation more in terms of, you know, that dark chocolate that you love. You might say, "Well, that that looks tempting, but I'm going to try and avoid that," and then I stuff my face with it. That's how we tend to talk about temptation. What the Bible teaches is that temptation is what is in us, in ourselves. It's an enemy within us that causes us to move towards evil. The evil is not just out there somewhere, but it's in here, in me And in you. This is what Jesus says in Matthew uh, chapter 5 and uh, chapter 18. He, He repeats it twice. He says, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. If your right hand causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. The evil is in us. He doesn't mean in my physical eye or on my physical hands, but that it's a part of us that even though I know right from wrong, I know I shouldn't lie and that I should tell the truth. There is an evil inside me that is leading me into lying. It it leads me there. And apart from God's grace in my life, I will simply move towards anger and lying and adultery and anxiety and never being content The love of money and power and possessions, there's an enemy within me. Proverbs describes it this way when it says, With much seductive speech she persuades him, and with her smooth talk she compels him. All at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter. And so you can picture an ox going off to the slaughter, willingly, and that's the 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 heinous part about sin is that though we know right from wrong, we still choose to sin willingly. And scripture says, we're naturally led into temptation. In other words, in this prayer, we're not praying for God to take us take away all temptation from our lives. Until we pass away or until Jesus comes back, we will always be tempted. But in this prayer, we are asking God Keep us from being led into temptation as an ox goes to the slaughter. Teach us from just going right into it, ready to commit the sin. Instead, Lord, lead us into righteousness. Because, you know, the way that you get over the love of sin is by the love of Christ. Try and remember maybe the first crush you ever had when you were were younger. I pastor college students. So it's not uncommon for them to fall in love while they're in college, and then for that not to work out so well. And, uh, of course, they can be gripped by depression and sadness over this. But it's always amazing to me how quickly one of my students can get over this love that's crushed them. Because, this, you know, Sally has broken their heart. But all it takes is for Susie to come along. <laughs> and just like that, it's as if she had never existed. I'm not thinking about her. I'm a new love. And that is what we are praying for. Heavenly Father, lead me not into temptation. Cause my heart to be gripped by a new love. To love and honor and to serve you. Um, Love is able to break to break the, the, the chains of sin. This is what the scripture says about the power of love. It says, Set me as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave, and many waters cannot quench love. And so as we pray... For our Heavenly Father to deliver us from the evil within us. We are praying, give me a love for you. Warm my heart. Warm up by your spirit. And this is really the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. As Christians, we ought to pray every day, Heavenly Father, fill me with your spirit. That my heart might be warmed to love you, to turn away from evil. Turn away from temptation that might so easily grip me. Now, we have to be realistic about this. Jesus is not saying here, well, look, I know you're tempted, so just come to me and pray not to be tempted. And just like that, you're going to be fixed and everything's going to be great. Because listen to what the scripture says about the Christian fighting sin. This is what the Bible says about a Christian. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it's good. So it's no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that's in my flesh. And so, Look, some of us have been tempted by the same thing our whole lives. And the scripture teaches us that we are never going to progress as much as we want. We are always going to be disappointed by ourselves because we are in the flesh, and so we mustn't give up just because we fall. Um, Think of Psalm 51. David has just committed not just adultery in his heart, But David has physically slept with this woman who is not his wife. He has murdered her husband. But David, rather than being sunk in despair, he goes to God in confidence. And he begs God to forgive him, to cleanse him of his sin, and to fill David with his Holy Spirit that he might turn away from that sin. God's promise to us is that it does not matter how far deeply sunk into sin you are, If you're the kind of person that's addicted to sin, you're the kind of person that Christ died for. And that our Heavenly Father has promised to give you His Holy Spirit to remake you and to help you turn away from that sin. And So we have to keep going. Just because we are filled with God's Spirit does not mean that we no longer need His blood to cleanse us. The Spirit-filled person is the person cleansed by the blood of Jesus. The two always go hand in hand. I need God's forgiveness every day, and I need to be filled with his Spirit every day. Christ uh, promises to deliver us from the evil of this world, from the evil within us. But finally, he promises to deliver us from the evil of the devil himself. Um, This prayer ends, And deliver us from evil. But many translators say that the best way to translate the Lord's Prayer is not just deliver us from evil, generically, but deliver us from the evil one. The evil one. This spiritual being that you see most pointedly in the parable of the sower. Remember the the parable of the sower where the farmer sows the seed, but then the birds come up and peck away the seed. The scripture says that that's Satan who picks up the word of God, who's intent on destroying the work of the gospel. Um, You see this in Christ's temptation. We've just um, passed through chapter 5 in the book of Matthew, excuse me, chapter 4, where in chapter 4 of Matthew, Jesus does battle with evil, not just in general, but the evil one, Satan or the devil. And... One pastor summarizes the devil's strategy uh, this way. It's really just a great summary of what the scripture teaches about the strategies of Satan. And his strategies are domination, accusation, and confrontation. Domination, accusation, and confrontation. You see Satan's strategy of domination in his work in Judas the one who betrayed Jesus, where Satan is actually able to enter in to Judas and to control him completely. The Bible says that in and of ourselves, we are by nature children of wrath, slaves to the prince of the power of the air. That um, despite the fact that I'm dressed up and I've got a nice tie on and an iron shirt, I was born a slave to Satan. And that apart from God's grace on our lives, we are all born slaves of the devil who has dominion over us. And so when we pray, deliver us from evil, we are praying, Heavenly Father, would you deliver me, if you're not a Christian, from the power of the devil? Because if you are a Christian and you have been born again and brought from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, Satan cannot have dominion over you. You are now a child of God, no longer a child of Satan. And so if you are a child of God, Satan cannot have this dominion over you. And so we pray, Heavenly Father, would you deliver my co-worker, he's not a Christian, from the power of Satan? Would you deliver him from his dominion? Because God has promised to do that. That if we will go to him and pray, he will listen to our prayers and answer them. The second strategy of Satan is accusation. And it's here that Satan works in particular against Christians. Satan's strategy is simply this. I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you've been a Christian for all these years and you would still commit that sin. You're not really a Christian. You should be ashamed of yourself. You're so guilty. I would just give up if I were you. It's not really worth it being a Christian anyway. That's Satan's strategy of accusation. He's called the accuser in the Bible because he goes about like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour and sink into despair and depression. But our Heavenly Father has promised that I am simultaneously a sinner. It's true, Satan, I'm guilty. But I'm also righteous in the sight of God. That my hope is not in my overcoming sin in my life. My hope is that I am in Jesus Christ, who is my righteousness, who's cleansed me of all of my sin, so that when God looks at me, though I be a sinner, he says, you're my beloved son, and I'm well pleased with you, and I don't care what Satan says. So when we pray, Heavenly Father, deliver us from evil, we pray that not just ourselves, but that Lakewood Church and Christians here in Pell City and Talladega, would not be sunk under the accusations of Satan, but that we would cling to the cross and stand in the joy of having our sins forgiven. Christ defeats his strategy of domination, of accusation, and then finally confrontation. The scripture teaches that Satan goes around trying to destroy his church. In the parable of the sower, Satan is there Um, picking up God's word, keeping it from being planted into the hearts of of, uh, Christians and non-Christians alike for them to be born again. But Christ's promise, remember that the end of the Gospel of Matthew, the Great Commission, which we love to quote, all authority has been given to me under heaven and on earth. And therefore, Satan's confrontations with his church have now been Decisively defeated And and that's what we pray Heavenly Father deliver us from evil Go about destroying The work of Satan in your church Because you have promised to do that Because of your authority Well I hope This morning you've been able to see uh, In this prayer we are praying For our Heavenly Father to deliver us From these three evils of the world And the flesh and the devil Um You might be here this morning thinking, Adam, I know that I should pray, but I just don't feel very spiritual. And this is what I would say to you this morning if you just don't feel very spiritual. Um, You've got so much on your mind. Hear, Hear the words of Isaiah 55 where he says this. Come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money Come by and eat. Why do you labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen to me and eat what is good. And delight yourselves in rich food. As we close this morning, I would just ask you to pray with me. Let's pray that uh, God would change our hearts, that we would love what is good and hate what is evil. That he would give us patience as we endure all the evils of this world that we might hang on because it's going to be worth it, that he might give us victory over Satan today. Would you all pray with me? Heavenly Father, we look to you because you are our only hope. Uh, In and of ourselves, we are weak. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blessings that you've given us this day, and we pray that you would indeed... Deliver us from evil, uh, the evils of the world and the flesh and of the devil, that we might persevere in our faith and love towards you and one another. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.